So uh, we're here with another great All Access with composer Batu Saner. Uh, Batu, thank you so much for taking time to uh, to chat today. It's so great to see you. Uh, we've you know we've had to cross our paths many times, and it's a uh, long overdue to have a chat. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> so let's just start uh, from the beginning. You know, I, I, I you know talk talk to me about growing up, uh, your childhood. Uh, I know you're. We have a shared connection in that, you know, I'm half Turkish, you're Turkish as well. Talk about uh, growing up uh, in your childhood and how did you discover music? When did it move from becoming a hobby to an actual, like, I want to do this for a living? Um, well, very early on, I think. But I didn't really have much of a choice, I thought, at first, anyway. Uh, it, the story goes that my, um, my parents uh, heard me singing back tunes from the radio or the TV at the very early age, two or three, whistling in the, you know, while playing with whatever I suppose I was playing with at the time. And uh, they must have thought, oh, well, maybe we should get some uh, some music lessons for this kid. It seems like he, he's got an ear for this sort of thing. And then I started piano when I was three. There's only one memory I, I have that I, I, I didn't want to go and leave the piano lesson and I would have looked. I was uh, hugging my teacher's uh, leg so that the, the lesson would continue. Um, but yeah, very early on, uh, and uh, it almost like my parents knew at the time that I was always going to do music uh, in 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 the future. But piano lessons for years and years, uh, private lessons. Eventually, I went to a music uh, high school, sort of specifically music only that sort of prepares you for conservatories and such and eventually got into a conservatory so i was always going to be a classical piano performance major right. in fact that's what i was doing i think i was i was hard working enough to become a concert pianist not that that's why i chose composing but uh, i was kind of a lazy student but i did i did practice a lot still but it wasn't until quite later Maybe I was 18, I've decided that I was going to do composition as a career, really. So um, it was a long realization. I always liked writing music. Um, I was always thinking, I remember trying to practice some Prokofiev or something, and then like, this is so difficult. I'm spending all this time to play somebody else's music. It would be better if I could just write my own or you know, perform my own, I think. Yeah. So eventually... Eventually uh, realized that that's what I wanted to do. The film music of it obviously comes a bit later, but um, so that's sort of a, a short version of the story. <laughs> yeah. So how did it? How did you get to the United States and end up in Hollywood? What was that journey? And and when did you discover? When did you discover film music? And was it in initially appealing to you, or did you kind of stay away from it? Be like, oh, no, I kind of want to write you know, just music composition and stay with that and concert music and what made you kind of move over to visual media? I always liked film music. I remember growing up watching films. And I, I love films and especially animated films. And I remember growing up and saying, oh, well, that's got good music and that piece is cool. And I remember trying to download stuff from what was it, like LimeWire or whatever it was. Yeah, man, LimeWire, Napster, uh, Morpheus. <laughs> Uh, so I always loved it. I had a whole folder on my computer that's, that said film music, and then I had like lots of things in there that, not that I listened to much of film music, because I was more obsessed with like 20th century Russian music, uh, Prokofiev and like Shostakovich and, and all those people. Um, 
But it wasn't until I watched a particular film that I was like, mm, that is what I want to do, which was um, Wally, the Pixar film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I, I, it's, it's one of the great examples of what music can do in film, basically. And I remember, I remember going into the movie not knowing anything about it. Um, I, I did know about Tom Newman, but uh, I didn't think that my life was going to change that way after watching that film, especially, you know, the first half, you're just watching this incredible piece of art with just music and a bit of sound effects just tells the story for you in such clever particular way that it just made a big impact on me and I, I remember at the end of the film thinking well whatever that was that's what I want to do and up until then I was writing music I was doing stuff classical whatever it was but it wasn't until that film I I, I was I was I went home and I said all right so how does one get into writing music for <clears throat> movies or television and, and so on um Obviously, a Google search brings up, you know, schools in America, uh, very easy. And I remember it was like maybe on the day it was, it was due the applications. I went um, uh, on and did an application for Berkeley, uh, which was November, I think, or December. I can't remember. And then, and then I got I got to an audition date in January. Uh, came to Boston. So saw it as a tourist and did the audition. Eventually got in, and then they didn't have a room for me to start in the fall like a regular college. So they asked for me to come in right away in the summer. So I sort of packed up and <laughs> came to Boston. It wow. was pretty quick. I mean, from the moment I decided that I was going to do this till I was in America, with about six, seven months, maybe not even. Um, so that was pretty quick. Uh, and that's that's sort of a short story of how I got into this, um, which um, eventually led to some grad school in Chicago as well, because, you know, pretty easy to get in, get to America as a student. And, and then you don't want to waste those years on your visa. Right. I was like, well, yeah. I, I don't know what to do here. I'm not really ready to go to L.A. and I'll just do another school, I suppose. So when... When you got to L.A., I mean, uh, you've been working with, of course, the amazing Jean Powell for, for you know, a number of years now. How, and I'm sure there's a lot of young composers, you know, wondering, how do you get in contact with a veteran composer like that and be, begin a collaborative kind of working relationship with them? So how did you cross paths with John? Was it just uh, just chance or did you see an event he was in and go meet him? Like, how did that how did that meet happen? It, it was... Uh... I was very lucky. I mean, I, I, I've always been lucky um, ever since I met John, but meeting John was also quite lucky. Um, but initially, essentially, this is how it happened. The, the school in Columbia College in Chicago, um, they had a internship placement program. Uh, so you finish your studies in Chicago and then you they, they sort of guarantee an internship uh, in L.A. for a few weeks as an extension of the, their last semester. So at, the, at that, uh, this was, when was it? 2014, I was graduating. And then uh, we heard from John's studio um, that he was looking for an intern. Uh, so everybody got really excited. Oh, okay, well, we all sent our applications and, you know, hope for the best uh, kind of thing. And then I was very lucky that he uh, picked me. And 
what I didn't know at the time that Jermaine, as Jermaine Franco, as you, as uh, people know, was yeah. John's assistant for for a while, and she was leaving. Uh, about uh, maybe a few months after I started, I didn't know this, but um, basically the way I, I ended up staying here was Jermaine was leaving to to take uh, on other other films and adventures away from John really, and and John asked me to stay on after my internship. That's sort of how we met and how we started. And even actually, when we met, uh, he was just out of Out Train Dragon 2, I think, and maybe Rio 2. So he was pretty worn out and he didn't want to do anything. So my internship technically with him was pretty uh, distant. <laughs> I only saw him a few times. He was really interested in spending time with his son and such, which understandably. Um, but uh, he was also you know, asking me to do things that you normally wouldn't ask an intern to do right away by, he was just trying to test me to see, you know, if I suppose if he was capable enough to stay and help him out. So that's how I met him and uh, been here ever since. Yeah. So talk about what was like, do you remember the first project that he actually allowed you to, to tinker around with? And do you remember those, that time and were you nervous when you started to kind of graduate to kind of additional composer and, were you nervous about finally kind of getting your hands on something and getting to work on things? Well, surely. I mean, it's very intimidating to 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 do anything. I mean, it's John Powell. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, so yeah uh, for sure. The first, the first project that I worked on or wrote any additional music for him was um, Pan. Uh, it's a 2015 Warner Brothers film. And um, what's funny about it is that he took the film um, on, it was, I think it was April 1st, and he, he comes to the studio and says, I've taken on a film, and we only got 30 days to do it. Uh, at the time, I didn't understand what that even meant, because how could, how could you do that in 30 days, you know? Um, and he goes, no, look, I know, I know you want to write music, you're here for this, for this and, uh, but this is such a short amount of time and I don't really know how we're going to end up working together. And if, if your sort of writing is going to fit into my score, if we're going to, it's just, there's not enough time to sort of, uh, I suppose, teach you and show you and sort of walk you through how it's done. So he said on this one, I, I need you to do sort of everything else that an assistant would do basically, except writing music because he just didn't, it's a very fair, thing to say obviously i didn't like hearing it but also sure point is like well of course he's got 30 days to do this and there's like 90 minutes of music of course he's gonna need people to help him but also he needs people who he can trust and he's worked before and i wasn't one of them uh so that's why he said to me i was like well you know what okay fair so we were just doing our regular things halfway through april so we've got two weeks left now it was one day i remember it was anthony willis which I'm sure uh, everybody knows, and Paul Monty uh, uh, are the two other additional composers on the film. They were here, and they were uh, writing stuff, and John, so three of them. <laughs> and uh, halfway through April, there was one night where everybody sort of left at like six. Somebody had a dinner, somebody had something else, and John left for something. And I'm the only one left at the studio, and I had also some other duties that I needed to take care of, and Anyway, all that done, and it's like 7 p.m., and I remember thinking, wow, I've been here 
probably 16 hours every day, it's time for me to go home and like watch some TV and then relax for a change because it's been very tiring. But instead, you know, I saw the cue sheet, I saw the cue board and half the cues are sort of pending and there's spotting notes. I've been in the meetings with the director, sort of I know the tunes, everything. So I thought, what the hell, I should give it a go. I picked one of the cues that's sort of open uh, and looked at the spotting notes and looked at John's tunes and whatever story needed at the time. Okay, it's this tune with this tune, maybe they can do it at the same time, whatever it was. And then eventually ended up writing a cue. And I left it on his computer and then went home. And I just emailed him and said, okay, well, you know, I've called blah, blah at this studio and I'll handle this if we're going to get this many players. Plus, at your computer, I left you a cue that I've tried, even though he said not to. <laughs> so the next morning I come in, I'm just like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Is, it, is he like, did he hate it? What is he going to say? Is he going to be upset that I've even done it? Because he said not to even bother. Uh, the next morning he calls me in his room. He's like, okay, so we need to call this person. Can you email that person? And can you just make sure that we can book this and blah, blah. And, um, and then that was it. He didn't say anything about the cue that I've done. And I was like, well, he must have not heard it or listened to it just yet. And I've turned around and as I was leaving, he goes, oh, by the way, I don't know if he did this on purpose. If you ask him, I'm sure he did it on purpose, but I don't know. He goes, by the way, um, I've I've listened to that cue that you've done. It's, it's you know it's pretty good. Why don't you, why don't you well, let's open up and talk about it. We talked about it, and then eventually he went. Why don't you do this other one as well? So that's how it all started, basically. Um, which is for that moment, it was extremely intimidating. I was just not knowing yeah. what what John would say and what he would think. But he's he's extremely kind. I mean, he's the sweetest person. So, of course, he wasn't like, what? I told you not to do this. Why did you do this? It wasn't like that. Um, but I think he welcomed it in a way. And I ended up doing four or five cues on that film, which was, uh, you know, my first uh, gig with John. That's amazing. That's, I mean, that's just, a, I'm just picturing John's interactions with that because I think, yeah, definitely on purpose, I think he was yeah. like, knowing John and his uh, dry sense of everything, you know, his, his British wit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, I mean, you know, I mean, you got to work on so many amazing projects with John over the years, but, um, I mean, I just want to congratulate you, of course, on Ice Age, um, Adventures of Buck Wild, which is your first animated feature score. And, um, yeah, this is fantastic. So let's, let's, I want to dive into this because, you know, so we know that John has worked on, was it three or four films? He's done three. Yeah. Three. Three of three of the Ice Age movies, which, of course, uh, we had other amazing composers like David Newman, John Debney, kind of have their you know um, a voice in the franchise. But you know, John's themes really resonate with the franchise. So you got to kind of, you know, metaphorically speaking, take the baton and, and now continue um, with this uh, new feature. So talk about working on this. I mean, how did you approach this score? Of course, you wanted to pay homage to to John's tunes, but you also want to put your voice into it. That must've been a challenging thing. So what was your musical goals and working with the filmmakers and what did you guys end up doing? Uh, well, I suppose the way I got to do the film, it, so the, the road to it went uh, through the other show that was announced recently, which is the uh, Scrat Tales, the right. episode sort of mini series thing. That, I've done that first. Um, 
Oh, so that came first. Okay. That came actually first. Uh, and then I think as a result, people probably felt comfortable that they could give me a, a, a score uh, of, of sort of like wild size. Um, so it, I feel like that helped a little bit getting me the job. But the way I think it all worked out initially, it was that John got a call saying, hey, we've got this other Ice Age film that we're doing. Like, like would, would you be interested? But they kind of know that he wouldn't do it. Um, and Or do you know of anybody you trust who can deliver a score of this magnitude, basically? Um, and then John very kindly, with all the experience that I had with him, all the additional music experience, plus that I've done the Scrat uh, Tales show for Disney, uh, he recommended that I, I should do it. And then I think everybody at Disney thought, well, okay, well, we'll give him a chance and see how, how he fails about it. <laughs> um, so that's how I got it. And obviously the title character being Buck and um, many of the, well, I don't know, six or seven of the characters from the original series being in it, original uh, franchise being in it, um, I was able to, and my relationship with John sort of meant that I could just use any of the tunes that he's done and then they are really memorable tunes. I mean, the family tune and the Buck tune, all all the tunes that he's done for three films are they're, they're all very good. Uh, I ended up using tunes from the second and the third film, as the story is closer to those than than four and five. Um, but of course, there are new characters in it that would they required their own tune, and there's a new bad guy, there's a new concept of it. Also, it meant that I had to do four or five new tunes on it. Yeah, uh, but obviously it was a very nice thing. That sort of a, a, in in your palate to have John Powell's tune is just very comforting in a way. As intimidating as it was, and of course the temp of the film was just yeah, all oh. John Powell. So when you first watch the film with the music, uh, which is like you do that once and hopefully never do, never listen to it again, you go, well, this is kind of working. Great. Okay. Well, how am I going to do this and to make it work? as well as this did. Um, so from that point of view, it was very, very scary. I mean, it was scary. I can't imagine. First time, yeah. it, was, it was the first time I, I had to do, you know, 75 minutes of music for, for, for a full-length film. Um, so it was a bit scary. Very difficult to do, but it, it, was, it was also comforting that I had John's tunes as as a safety handle. If something wasn't working, I could be like, well, all right, I'll use John's family tune, you know? <laughs> the, the family tune he's done probably would work. I mean, they're still a family, right? Um, so but my, my approach is, though, overall was that I'll try, I'll try um, to approach this, which whatever the story requires, right? Here's the first 15 minutes of the film, I think, is just about what's happened or family, us and all the people. So the first 15 minutes of the film is a bit more like old tunes and a mashup of all the John's material, really. But once the story gets going about 10, 15 minutes in, then, all right, well, now we need to introduce new tunes. Well, these two need their own tune. So I was, I was pretty much following the story and I was not ever thinking, oh, I must, what's the temp tune? I must do that. And I, I was pretty free to do it. I mean, the, the, director and the producer they were they were extreme they were so fantastic to work with because they were That's they, good to hear, they yeah. me 
the sort of freedom to do whatever. They were never like, mm, you know what, we should use the family tune from the second film because this feels like that scene, therefore. They were never like that. They were not making me do anything. I was just going with it, whatever the story telling sort of, you know, imposed in a way. That's what I was doing. And majority of the film required new material, um, and uh, which is a, which is a very good thing to <laughs> to do on a big franchise. I mean, it's sometimes rare to to get more than half of the score in new material in a franchise film where you've got to use everybody else's tune. But in this case, a big majority of it was all my material, which, which I, I'm pretty happy about. Um, and uh, and and I got to record. <laughs> at Fox for for seven days, which is hey, I got the Newman scoring stage. I saw your posting. That must have been incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be five days, but then it was at the time where the Delta variant was uh, sort of raging, and we had to split just last minute. I think the Friday before scoring, we had to split the strings and the winds, and and so I I ended up getting two extra days, which was it was fantastic. Still, it was seven days just going there and recording your own music. It's it's pretty phenomenal. I know that's a that's an amazing scoring stage as well. I mean, it's on the Fox lot and so much yeah. history there. And uh, well, I've been yeah. there for um, uh, two of John's films. Yes, Ferdinand and Cold Wild. I've been in there and we recorded his music. Obviously, I was always in the booth, but and he was conducting. Uh, so it's just a fantastic place to be. It's just creating music, especially after all that hard work that, <laughs> that you put into it for months. Finally, getting to the stage and recording is is pretty rewarding. Yeah, I mean, every composer I talk to when they they say that the magic moment is when they hear the music played by live musicians. So, so for you, was that experience from hearing your music, but also seeing these amazing, talented musicians bring it to life? I'm sure that was the moment where it's like everything came together for you, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it it was, and I have to say, overall, the process of scoring Buckwild was pretty smooth. I mean, I had a lot of time, which allowed me to do the whole thing by myself. I didn't need anybody's help. Uh, because the movie pushed about two, three months. By the time I started sort of doing tunes and everything, I had an extra two months to prepare. But by the time you get to the scoring stage, you're so tired. There's so much, so many details everywhere, and it's big orchestra score, you know. So um, by the time you get to the stage, or right before you start recording, you go, I don't think I'm going to do this ever again. This is so difficult. <laughs> just, let's just not do this. Uh, I'm seeing my camera; it's pretty blurry. I don't know if that's yeah. You got you got some Vaseline on the lens a little bit. <laughs> uh, let's see if we can fix it. Without what? Hmm. How do we do that? Well, this will be the the thumbnail of your video. <laughs> thumbnail. I was gonna. <laughs> we'll just point um, at the screen. Jeez. Let me just turn it off and off. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> All right. What was I saying? Uh, uh, we were talking about bringing uh, in, in coming to the stage. At the, yeah. at the stage, everything coming together, hearing it for the first time, and everything. Yeah, right. So by the time I was at the stage, I was saying I don't want to do this ever again. I don't know why anybody would do this, but just to answer your question, as soon as they start playing the music, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's why. <laughs> I'd love to do. You know, I go through that, even though however painless it was for me, I go through that intense period just so that i can experience this this moment of the music coming alive with just incredible musicians and conductors it was it yeah i mean I've, I've felt that sort of thing with being in the control room with john and my own cues getting recorded in in some way but it's never it's not your tunes it's john's tunes it's just your arrangement and orchestration kind of thing 
So hearing it all and knowing every single thing that you've done in the computer finally yeah. you know, coming alive is, is, is phenomenal. That's amazing. Is there a, a specific uh, piece of a track or cue that, uh, or a sequence in the film that you scored that you were particularly proud of that you had a lot of fun working on? Uh, yeah, I think everything was pretty fun, but I, I, there was the, um, there was a training montage that I had to do three times over, uh, because I was just not getting it right. The first time I've done it, it was too slow. The second time was, uh, I think it was in, uh, three or something and it needed to be in four. And finally I've done a well, version that was, um, working and fun enough and exciting enough. And then I was very excited to, to get to the stage to record that because just sometimes, you go, you know what, I'm going to get to the stage. If you know you're going to get to the stage, you don't really try as hard to get the mock-up sound as good. Right. Uh, and it was still sounding good enough for the director and the producer to, to, to get excited about it. But I, I knew that it was just going to be something completely different um, when, when recorded. So I was excited for that. As well as most of the emotional cues, of course. I mean, you can try hours and hours. It's just not going to work. Uh, it's just the lushness of a of a big string section um, is just, you can't, you can't recreate that with anything. <laughs> so were you, yeah. what was it like when you got to show John some of your music? Was that, were you nervous to actually show him like what you did? <laughs> John was, uh, I, I was a little bit, but it, the, the sort of understanding was that John, I suppose, whilst um, sort of recommending me to do the score, he was saying, I'll make sure it's like done right for 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 you. So yeah, make was, everybody comfortable. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "Don't worry, I'll, I'll make sure this this works." And John was very kind to attend the spotting session and then the review and such. So, but and also I played him all the new tunes that I've done, and and sort of getting his feedback on here's the tunes for possums, or here's the tune for D, and here's this, and then him saying, "Oh, that's good. See, this bit is not catchy enough. Maybe you, you want to try that and change it." And then his imp, obviously somebody like John Powell saying, why don't you try this? It's, or maybe do that in eight notes rather than this. It'll be much better. A good, quick turnaround, whatever it is that he, he may say. So getting his feedback on the tunes before I, I presented, before I even started doing suites and cues was very, very important. And, and it's very illuminating as well. And, uh, and he was also, uh, like he was in the uh, meetings and he was part of the final um Final playback before everything got to the stage, and he was—he basically heard the entire score um, along with the director and the uh, producer, which was all done over uh, Zoom. It wasn't Zoom; it was um, Evercast or whatever it was. But you know, uh, it, that part of it sucked quite a lot. I can't imagine. Yeah, I'm trying to put all this together. It's just not the same to have these people come over here and actually enjoy it in the room. I don't know how they listen to it. Uh, do they have headphones? I can't see it. Like, it's uh, that part isn't fun. But we made it work anyway. But so John was at the final uh, review, and then he heard all the scores. So he was, I think he was pretty pleased with it all. Um, and so was the director and the producer. So um, it, 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 it's. I mean, you can't put a price on on having John's input on 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 an ice age score basically of course uh, I, i'm again i'm i'm extremely lucky to have been here for this long and also have him allow me to do this in his studio uh, which uh, i think made it so much more comfortable for me 
Yeah, I, I remember I was talking to him in one of our interviews, and I said, you know, you you really kind of become like a great mentor to Batu and Anthony, and then he was, you know, as an as an Englishman, he can't take compliments. He's like, what? No, 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 no. He's like, they're they're fine, they're good, they're good. They're like, <laughs> but it seems like he's been such a nurturing uh, figure in your life, and 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 it's so well, nice to hear him. I mean, I know he really cares about you and Anthony and everybody around. You got seem like such a close family at Five Cat, and it it, it really comes across that way. He sure was. I mean, he's he's very giving. I mean, uh, I think he'd be a great teacher if he was. <laughs> ever. Yeah, absolutely. But he's he, he's and every single cue you write for him, it's just like a learning experience. And that's one thing that's not changed. I've been here for over seven years now, working in this studio with John, and we've done eight films together, I think. And every time, every single cue, it's just that you. I mean, he's, he's got just 60, 70 films that, of experience. That, and he's just incredible at, at sort of understanding filmmaking and just also, also obviously writing music. So everything he says, everything he shows you, um, you know what, baby, we do this. And we do, mm, it's yeah. just always a, a, a learning experience that's just never stopped. So I felt, in a way, I felt pretty prepared for when John said, you know, I think you're doing this Ice Age film. I, I, I freaked out, of course. I was like, oh, no, I, I could. I'm going to go back and live with mom by the beach. Yeah. I, I did freak out, but I was also feeling prepared enough to say, you know what, okay, bring it, I'll do it. You know? So having having somebody like John, especially John, is, is you know, it's very important. Um, uh, important for me, for my starting career, I should say. Absolutely. Um, so let's actually now let's uh, rewind a bit, and I want to talk about uh, Scrat Tales, uh, which is coming out on April thirteenth on Disney Plus. So of course, yeah, you, know, you, you did that first. So this is a series of six shorts um, featuring everyone's favorite prehistoric squirrel, and um, those you know those segments were always such fan favorites. So I'm curious if that was your kind of starting point into this into into the Ice Age franchise. And what I really loved about Scrat is that for me, he always encompassed what I grew up watching were kind of the old silly symphony Looney Tunes where it was just kind of very kind of screwball and it's it's really based on movement and music there's no dialogue and so I'm curious how you approach that and did you have a lot of fun writing music in that style oh yes uh, it was exact it's basically uh, it's basically that three or four minutes of six times just no dialogue. All you have is him making weird noises and yeah. music, and it's just it's so much in the style of, you know, uh, our childhood uh, cartoons. So I approached it the same way, uh, as, as over the top and as romantic as as cliche and as crazy as as cartoon music can get, basically. And um, and you're right. Scrat always had. I'm not sure about the fifth one. I think on the first movie. Scrat didn't have any music over not even classical stuff, and then John introduced Beethoven or or Cacciatorian or right or, or all those sort of uh, from the classical uh, era, I suppose. And and I'm not sure about the fifth film, but in this case, we wanted original uh, music. We didn't want to just have arrangements of of other uh, other pieces. So I was able to do uh, two thematic material. One um, that is about family i suppose is scrat and this baby scrat yeah yeah seen in the uh, poster um it's sort of their little family so th- there's a tune for that and then uh, <laughs> i've done this really silly um short motif for the acorn 
which just repeats and repeats and gets into all sorts of <laughs> major arrangements, small piano. It's just this wide range of, of crazy. Uh, so it, I have to say, <laughs> John always said to me that I overwrite even more than he <laughs> overwrites, I think. And I was always proud of that. I still am. I mean, I'm, I, I just love complex orchestral music. Uh, whenever I'm studying any scores, I get some Prokofiev opening. I'm like, oh, look, everybody's doing this. this, this. So <laughs> yeah. I'm always so amazed with what, what an orchestra can do. Um, so this was the perfect opportunity to write something so outrageous. And, and, and because it's short, every episode is three, four minutes, it basically changes every three seconds. <laughs> so the, the mood of it all, the, what you need to do musically. So it was such a blast to to, uh, to score this, this series. And, uh, you know, it was Blue Sky's uh, last project, basically, yeah. before they um, were shut down. Um, and I had six directors for each episode, plus one um, co-director that was overseeing the whole whole show along with the producer uh, and that was also done over zoom <laughs> uh, that that was not fun either um and this was the beginning of it i think I, when was it it was uh it was like september or october of 2020 so we didn't really know about more sophisticated software at the time so it was it was pretty tricky to to get stuff over the internet to these people live playback but uh yeah, it was it was just it was just extremely fun, and and I think I I remember I remember I played John just at the beginning, like the first episode. I've done the first episode, which is I think four minutes, and I sort of called him in. He was like, "Hey, I want to show you this," and I, I've got this family tune, and I've uh, I've got this motif, and I've also with these I've done the first episode, and I played it to him, and he he, he sort of had some comments to say, and he finally got up and as he was leaving, he said. I'm confident that you're not going to fuck this up, <laughs> which uh, which is basically um, you know John Powell for okay this will go, this is going to work yeah exactly <laughs> so I, I was pretty happy to hear that and then I've scored the rest of it as well and it was just so fun I didn't however have enough money in the music budget to record uh, full orchestra so, yeah. uh, so majority of it is samples but I've I've made sure this time the mockups were better. <laughs> and uh, I, I was given some uh, budget to record seven individual um, musicians, which one of them is John, actually. He played the accordion on it. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, and um, I had a violin and a flute, a guitar. Uh, I played the piano. And uh, what else did I have? Uh, cello and some vocals. Uh, so that, that, was, that was pretty good and fun. And I think it was a good way of sort of showing how crazy I can write, I suppose. And uh, I'd like to think that that helped getting the uh, Ice Age film after that. Um, the other thing actually happened with John did the end titles to, to Scrat Tales because he loves Scrat. I mean, Scrat, yeah. like you said, everybody loves Scrat. So he wanted to do, there's, a t there's like a 25, 30 second um, uh, end titles, all the credits going uh, pretty quickly. So he wanted to do something quite outrageous, and then you'll you'll hear that when it comes out, and it's also in the album, nice. um, which is which is very fun. So at least he took care of that, and I wasn't I didn't have to worry about that. So uh, that was nice of him to offer. 
Um, yeah, you can you can switch roles a bit. Get John to work for you for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a way, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, before we wrap up, I do want to I want to touch upon which I really loved as your solo album, uh, uh, Lugano Impressions, which I think everyone should go check out. It's streaming. Um, talk about the inspiration for that because it, I mean I know it's a kind of that's really a very personal thing for you, and that's it. Really, is your kind of your style and your music. So, what was inspiration behind that album, and what made you want to kind of put it together? Uh, that was well. Let's see. We've done uh, we've done Ferdinand, and then we've done Solo, Star Wars Story, and then we've done Hunter and Dragon: The Hidden World in like thirteen months back to back. Even though they all came in three different years. We've done it in 13 months, all three films. So by the end of it, I was ready to just get out of here and find some place. Yeah, I know. You were burnt out, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was just, uh, and we were going to, John and I were going to Switzerland, I think, for some concert that he was going to do there. And then I took that opportunity to book uh, a flight a bit earlier than what, when we need to be there and needed to be there. And um, I don't know how I ended up finding this place, but there's this town called Lugano in, in Switzerland. It's by, by uh, Lake Lugano, I think. And uh, th this, this is the time where like Airbnb places weren't like through the roof expensive. Right, <laughs> yeah. I was able to afford basically this right on the lake, literally like the, 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 the floor of the, <laughs> of the cabin of the, of the place I got is like above the water. It was like right, there's nothing around it. It's just very nice one bedroom uh, a, a place that um, I booked so that I can just go there by myself and um, uh, <laughs> and sort of relax and read some book and do nothing and just don't think about anything. That was my plan. But then um, I invited a friend over instead. I, I, it's my fault. I invited a friend over, which is somebody that I really, really love. And then we grew up together. We went to high school together and then some conservatory as well. So we uh, we were there for um, three days. What happened, unfortunately, was that we were kids when we last hung out and we were just different people. Yeah. So that sort of felt me, it, it made me feel sort of not upset, but just sort of realizing that people change and then what you've been holding on to as the idea of your relationship is no longer, no longer the same. You, mm -hmm. You've grown, and it, it, maybe the the texting and the WhatsApp, whatever it was, is just you're you're doing, you're communicating in a way that unfortunately didn't translate into real life. After in fact right. ten years, we hadn't seen each other. We've seen each other one one day or so here and then over ten years, but that's about what's happened. And uh, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It was still a fantastic time. We had fun and whatever. It was it was lovely, lovely. But it's just from a from somebody that I really love from a friendship point of view. I just felt sort of broken about it. Yeah. And, um, and then I I had a moment there the last morning. I think I was I had I I wish I could say I had a piece of manuscript paper and a pencil and I scribbled things. I didn't. I was just like singing into my phone, which is very you know boring comparatively but um i had some ideas about what what this whole trip uh ended up being and then i came to la and uh, sort of fleshed it out a little bit and eventually made a suite about it and sort of tells a story of 
us getting there and waking up in this incredible place and and you know jumping into a very cold lake and and you know having fun and eventually having enough booze that you know you reminisce and so you sort of look back and and sort of uh, i suppose remember the, the days the, the time and the fun that you had in the past and then how that's sort of no longer the 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 reality and then the realization of that and eventually leaving the place so it tells us a very personal story of course but i mean i i it's good to have excuse to write music basically so i was right after doing all those three films and we were we knew that we were going to have some uh, free time here it was nice to concentrate on something that i really wanted to do which is always writing music uh, uh and i had basically I was provided in a way with a story that I could tell uh, via classical music. It's very easy in a way to write yeah. films because the story is there for you, you know, then, then you just help with your music, uh, tell the story. In this case, I needed to have my own story. So that's sort of what, how it happened and, and um, why it happened. And I'm glad I did it because I think being able to write all that in, and sort of release it and take it out and have people listen to it just made me, it sort of made you have a, what, what, what do we say about this? It? It's like, it's a closure in a way. It's like, all right, yeah. well, I'm happy about it. Yes. I'm upset with the fact that maybe we're still friends, but we're no longer what we were. And this is my way of saying goodbye to that part of my life and being open. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm sure it was very therapeutic and cathartic oh, to surely yeah. was. And I played the piano and I had um Charlie Tyler is a cellist who who plays in LA and John scores uh, on my score and he's actually done now four or five things for me. But <laughs> he played the solo cello and then uh we recorded it at different times. I wish I could say that I was good enough of a pianist to have practiced and performed it live, but um I played it separately and I had him play on it and he nailed it. He he felt like he was playing it with me. He was he was very, very good. Uh so if any, anybody likes a sort of chamber music, solo cello and solo piano, a little duet, uh, I mean, it's 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 very um, like you say, it's therapeutic. It's 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 lovely to to be able to write something uh, that I care about. Yeah, and it's a very it's uh, it's a, it's an intimate listen, and it feels personal. So I think people should I mean, definitely check it out. So it's a I think it turned out really well. So well, thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> So to to wrap things up, um, you know, you know, as a as a younger person in the industry, you know, uh, like myself, you know, we I think we've gone through the most change I think we've experienced to get. I mean, I remember when I started at, at Disney, like Netflix was just a thing, and they had a deal with Disney. Now we have all these separate streaming services. The industry is changing. There's mergers. Everything is changing. Um, but you you took this massive journey leaving your home country, moving to a different country, making a life for yourself, making a career. So I'm curious, out of everything you've experienced in your time and in your career so far, um, which is, you know, just getting started as well, but do you have any advice for other uh, composers or filmmakers out there that are sitting at home listening and maybe they want to make the jump? Is it, do you have any kind of real, you know, you, you, I always ask this advice to, you know, maybe other composers, even like John, who maybe, as, as I much love John, John maybe will be a little out of touch of what the reality of, of what life is for maybe younger composers. So I'm curious from your perspective, what would you tell a younger composer today if they were going to try to jump into this industry? Uh, well, it depends if you're American. <laughs> if you're doing it in America, that is. 
because it's pretty difficult to to get visas and um, uh, and stay here, and it's expensive uh, to do so. I mean, um, and especially with the pandemic, it's even more slow. Uh, so it's it takes it takes a lot of money to to be able to get a visa that would allow you to stay here and mm-hmm. and work here. But aside from that, you're right. I think we we're in a in a, in a time in this business where I like look at back wild. I mean, it's it's just gone directly to Disney Plus, right? So I've yeah. no idea if that Ice Age is going to have any sort of um, financial return for me. The same way John's three Ice Age films that he's done, plus all 50, 60 other films. And theaters, sure, even this was in theaters, I mean, especially in the past two, three years, it's not really, it's just now coming back to theaters, but it's a very different time. And my, <laughs> honestly, my suggestion and my advice for people who would love to do this is that I think they, they maybe double think about it like do you really want to do this because <laughs> because yeah. it's, it's i mean it's hard to get into this business and i was like i said i was very lucky to so i met john but over the years i've i've seen so many interns and people reaching out to me trying to get into this business and and there are enough schools in america and around the world i suppose that every year what about two three hundred people move to los angeles just to sort of get into this business this is writing for uh, you know, multimedia that is so um it's a very it's a very uh crowded space in a way so the only way i suppose to get anywhere is be able to write something that sounds not like other people yeah which is i think very important because a lot of people are like i want to be the next hans zimmer next john powell whatever no, there's already they're already there Sorry, we already have a john powell and yeah. And I'm probably in, in not a good position to say this because I've been working with John for all these years and I think my overall orchestral writing and John's sort of match enough that I could, well, you wouldn't be able to say who did what. Like we sort of sure. do a similar thing orchestrally, which is why I suppose our composer and additional composer relationship sort of worked out well all, all this time. Um, and I don't think that Buck Wild has enough of my own voice it's got certainly things that john would never do he'd be like i would never change or that i would never use this enough of it that's different but it's still in the franchise and then i think i mean i I, you can't just reinvent ice age music basically so it wasn't yeah it wasn't enough of a here's my voice for me to say but um uh, but i'm hoping that the the sort of the next film i do is is going to be a bit different than that but if you don't have your own unique voice, I suppose. I mean, this is the same advice that everybody says. I suppose that it's just not going to work because if you just sound like anybody else, and they can just go that go and find and hire that anybody else instead yeah. because they don't need you. <laughs> Which is also why some interns and, and and assistants that come to LA or reach out to me uh, say, "Here's what I can do. This is in the, in the style of this and in the style of this." And honestly, um, sometimes I, I have the time to listen to it. But if somebody sends me a demo of in the style of me or or, or anybody else, I'd be like, well, great. But what what can you do? Really? Right. <laughs> yeah, there was a, I think I've said this in interviews before, but there was a, I remember sitting at the Arclight, rest in peace Arclight, but it was after, I think, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy or something. You know, sometimes they'll play like footage of, 
behind the scenes after the end credits and something. And it was James Gunn talking, and he, he gave this piece of advice that always stuck with me. He's like, "Don't, don't come to Hollywood looking what you can get out of it. Look, come here looking what you can bring to it, like what you can." offer from yourself and i think that speaks volumes and honestly from from living there for over a decade and just seeing you know me growing in my career and people growing in, around me it's just like the people who have unique voices and are true to themselves honestly they 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 rise to the top and it's yeah they're the voices that the, stick around the other the other um a good advice that i've received is this and then i still follow this as much as i can is that in order to get better or have your own voice or figure out what your voice is, I suppose, is that yeah, you yeah. constantly have to write. I mean, I'm still every day trying to write music. And even if I don't, then I study. I mean, it, there's not one day I, I don't open up a score and look through things or, or, or try to write something or just mock up something. Or I find a, a, a page of a symphony from whoever that I like put that into logic, expand it, change it. You know, it's just, it's just, it takes a lot of investment. And then if you don't continue to try to improve yourself, then maybe you're never going to find your own voice. And then you're always going to default to what we collectively heard from film music and classical music. And then it's very comforting and safe to just do that because you know, that modulate to this and it's great, but like, or this instrument does it this way. It's just if you don't experiment, then you're never going to actually see what what you are or what you can bring to it. Like you said, like you said, absolutely. Well, uh, Matu, thank you so much for this chat this evening. Thank you for being so open and and talking about your career and your process. And uh, I mean, congratulations! It's so you know amazing to see the the score or see the film and listen to the score. And um, yeah, everyone should check it out. It's on Disney Plus and Scrat Scrat Tales coming April thirteenth. So. And uh, can't wait for for what's next. We got to do this again sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks for having me. My pleasure.